Hey, I'm Javen. And I'm Colin. And this is our show, The Abstract Podcast, our podcast about ideas that matter. Today on the show, I got to sit down and have a conversation with Dr. Christopher Yuan. I'm going to read a bit from uh, Christopher Yuan's website. Christopher Yuan has taught at the Bible has taught Bible at Moody Institute for over 10 years, and his speaking ministry on faith and sexuality has reached five continents. Um, He travels around speaking at conferences, college campuses, and in churches. He's co-authored a book with his mother, and it's their memoir called Out of a Far Country, A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. Dr. Christopher Yuan graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005 from Wheaton College Graduate School in 2007 with a Master of Arts in Biblical Exegesis, and then he went on to receive his doctorate in ministry in 2014 from Bethel Seminary. Dr. Yuan's latest book is called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel, Sex, Desire, and Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. As always, here at the Abstract Podcast, we are sponsored by Hirschberg's Bakery in Fair Play, South Carolina, right off of Interstate 85. And today we want to give a shout out to their cake donuts uh, they have blueberry cake donuts and other... It's what, original it? and blueberry. Original yeah. and blueberry. And they're dense and they're delicious. And you should definitely go get one from Hershberger's Bakery. Yeah. So this past Sunday, I was at Lifeline Community Church. And I don't know if it's every Sunday, but Hershberger's Bakery had supplied the donuts that morning. And they had the cake donuts there. Where was this at? Lifeline Community Church. Right, everybody yeah. show up at oh. Lifeline. Good things may happen. <laughs> right, there's free donuts there in the morning. But yeah, the cake donuts, they're they so are, good. They are exceptional. So go check out Hershberger's Bakery. As always, we're thankful to be sponsored by them and thankful for the food they make. Next up is Colin's conversation with Dr. Christopher Yuan. Christopher Yuan, it is a pleasure to have you here. Great to be here. Um... So you've been at the Co Falls about twenty four hours. Yeah. Roughly. Maybe a little less. A little less. Yeah. First impressions? Uh, Put you on the spot here. Yeah, no, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely out in the country. I'm yeah. I'm a city <laughs> slash suburban boy. Okay. A little spoiled, but um I, I, I love getting away. So I mean it's it's yeah. always nice to get away from the concrete jungle. Yeah. And uh, to be where it's nice and quiet and hear crickets. Mm. You don't hear that much anymore. So yeah, it's really nice here. Do you still live in Chicago? I'm in the suburbs. In the suburbs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you live close to because your mom said she, they still live in the suburbs as well. Chicago. Yeah. So okay. I live with my folks. Oh really? Yeah. So oh, okay. we live. Yeah, I, I live with my folks. So we both we all live. I mean, we all not both. All, the three of us, my dad, my mom, and I, we we live in the southwest suburbs. Okay. Because mm-hmm. that probably Chicago. works good for how much y'all travel together. Speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm on the road so much that mm-hmm. if I had my own place, I'd be there less than half of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just it works out really great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll jump into what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. So about a year ago, I was actually listening to a podcast where you were interviewed by Phil Vischer. Ah, uh, um, yeah. And you recounted your story, and mm. I just remember thinking I was, uh, it was an incredible story. Mm. Um, and yeah, so I, I listened to it and thought that is such a great story for everybody to hear at this cultural moment we're mm. at, at the... Uh, time we live in, and so we don't have a huge audience, but I'm sure there's some people that will listen to this who have not heard it before. So mainly what I want to do is I just want to hear your story, which I know you tell it all the time. Yeah. You probably have your different versions, your 15-minute versions, your 60-minute versions. Yeah. Um, so today we're going for the 20-minute version. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Great. Um, 
So I figured we'll just start from the beginning. You're the son of immigrant parents, correct? Mm-hmm. And born yeah. in Chicago. Yes, I was born in my parents born in China, raised in Taiwan, and then came to the U.S. Okay. Graduate school. But About I was born here. I was born in 1970. Okay. Yeah, so that reveals how old I am. I have an older brother. Um, he was born in New Jersey. Okay. My dad was getting his Ph.D. there in, in New Jersey, in Hoboken, New Jersey, at Stevens Institute of Technology. And then he graduated, got a job in Chicago area, and then I was born in, in, in the Chicago area, in the, west, in the western suburbs of, of Chicago. Then I... Um, and your dad was a dent- trained to be yeah, a dentist. Correct? Yeah, well, okay. f- initially he got his first doctorate in physical chemistry, so it wasn't even in, in dentistry. Oh, okay. He started, he got a job doing research, um, got laid off, and so then they, he decided that he was going to start teaching. So he started teaching at a, a dental school. So he wasn't a dentist, but he was teaching in a dental school. He was teaching biochemistry mm-hmm. at a dental school. And then after a few years of teaching, he thought, wow, maybe I should get a, another doctorate. Sure. And my mom was like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> my dad's more the dreamer. My mother's the doer. Okay. So he, he had the idea, and my mom kind of helped him to accomplish that goal. So he went back to school when he was 35 years old, and he got his second doctorate when he was 39. So okay. I was nine years old at that time. And um, and I would say it was around that age when I was nine, I we were at a friend's house. Hmm. So it wasn't like my, my one of my friends, it was actually a family friend, like a trusted you know family friend. I, I knew their kids, my parents knew the parents, and uh, we would go to their house and, and stuff. Well. This father would, I guess you couldn't call hide because it would be in the bathroom that anyone would go in in the, you know, in the bathroom under mm-hmm. the sink, and he would hide pornography there. And I found it, came sure. across it, uh, and when I looked at it, that was that was the first time that I realized that I had these attractions. I didn't know what I was going to do with it at, at nine. Right. I was I didn't tell anyone, so I was scared. I, I, was just, I just didn't want to talk about it with anyone, so I didn't, I didn't tell anyone. I kept those feelings hidden, you know, through, uh, through high school, through my young adult years. In my early 20s, I moved from Chicago to Louisville, where I was becoming a dentist. I was going to be a, uh, going to dental school. And uh, so I came out then. Okay. Uh, so all my friends knew. And but I didn't tell my parents. So after my first year, then I told my parents. Okay. Yeah. Walk us through that. That's the part that um, in the book you and your mom write. You really yeah. bring out that moment. Yeah. Um, so you come home for a visit from school. Yeah. Right, and you're at the yeah. dinner table. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was in May of 1993, and I. It was after my first year, so I went to Louisville in '92. So I, in August of '92. So then I finished a whole year, and I came home for in May, for this uh, a short break before summer because uh, tunnel school you go all the way through. So there's no really summer break. You just have like maybe a week off. So I, um, I, I go home, and my my mom had found some pornography. That I had, because st- I was still living. I mean, I I had still some of my stuff at home. Mm-hmm. So she found that. So she kind of confronted me, and I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity. I'm just gonna just come out. Sure. You know, this is. I was like, there, for me, there was no shame. So I said, yeah, I'm gay. So what? I mean, I yeah. didn't say this. So what? But that's what I felt. Sure. Yeah. You know, deal with it. Well, my mom gave me an ultimatum. 
choose a family or choose that. And I thought, well, this is not, I can't choose this. This is who I am. If you can't accept me, then fine, forget it. And I just left home. Devastated my mom, but uh, pretty cool. Through that crisis, my, my mother came to faith. You know, just through a little pamphlet, she was going to end her life, and not not because I came out. I, you know, that's I think sometimes people misunderstand that part. There was a lot of other things that my mother were, was mm-hmm. dealing with: uh, a failed marriage, um, having achieved like the American dream, but still miserable, not happy. So she was going to end her life. She went to for some reason. She felt it, the need to see a minister. gave This minister gave my mom a, a pamphlet on homosexuality, and she began reading it, and it just changed her life. And this was on the train ride to come yes. tell you bye it, for the last time. Yes, correct. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. So on this train, my mother read this pamphlet, which she was just thinking this is something on homosexuality or something about her son, and it just talked. What what she the takeaway that she got was that she was a sinner mm. and God still loved her, uh, so amazing. Yeah, it was pretty miraculous because we're like, I don't you know I, I'm sometimes still thinking, you know what can a track do? You know you know these little booklets and you pass out to yeah. people and it's yeah. like, <laughs> right. you no know, you know it it does you know not everyone but but it's God's of course can still use that. So my mother became a Christian. I mean she had a radical. Uh, just transformation of night and day, you know, kind of Saul to Paul. So she uh, became a Christian, and um, she, and then within a few months, my father did as well. But so uh, that was as soon as after as a few months. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. how did that come to be? So my mom stayed in Louisville for about. Um, Six weeks. Yeah, okay. she was in Louisville for, for six weeks. And a number on the back of the pamphlet, it was like a hotline. And so she called the hotline, and uh, they they asked my mom, where you where are you at now? You know, where are you from? She's like, Chicago, you know. But my mom was like, but that's not where I am now. And uh, she's like, where are you now in Louisville? So she gave a name for uh, a person in Louisville that um, could... Uh, you know, that they had on their list or whatever. So um, this lady turned out to be a wife of a retired pastor. And so this this older lady discipled my mom for six weeks. And, um, yeah, just ha- helped her to read through the Bible, help her to, to read some other books, um, and just about her own spiritual growth. Mm. So after the six weeks, um, and it wasn't like they planned six weeks, but but this old lady was like, you know, you need to be reconciled with your husband. You can't just keep going like this. Um, so she encouraged my mom to 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 talk to my dad, but my mom didn't want to because they had just this really bad uh, blow up, and uh, so my uh, so my. Th- my mom asked, she's like, well, so this lady asked, you know, can I call my dad, uh, my dad? And she's like, my mom's like, yeah, whatever. So they talked and, um, uh, you know, the way my dad tells it is, uh, she got this phone call from this lady, really excited, you know, your mom's, you know, your, your wife is a Christian, uh, really excited, you know, she's given her life to Christ. And the way my dad tells it is, uh, he was like, 
he was not happy. <laughs> he said, that's my worst nightmare <laughs> because now she, my, my wife has got God on her side. <laughs> and, and your mom could have almost been anti-religion before or anti-Christian. Oh, she was. She okay. was anti-Christian. And that's what made the transformation even more mm-hmm. unbelievable. Yeah, she was really, she was not, was not really any religion, but she knew she did not like Christians. Okay. Yeah, so just the fact that 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 she became a Christian was yeah, quite miraculous. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So now you're you're in Louisville, your mom mm-hmm. comes to visit you after having this radical transformation. Yeah. I thought it was a great moment in the book when so you're at your dental class or yeah. as a student you're doing I was your, a student. I was um uh, you know, I was starting to see some patients. At okay, that that's time. right. Mm-hmm, and clinic. you get called out to the parking lot. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. And your mom's there. Well, I was called out to the reception area. Okay. So that's all the time. I mean, right. Because when, yeah. when you're seeing patients, you uh, they said, um, you know, Christopher Yuan, uh, please come to the reception area. Um, you know, you have a patient, or you know, please come. You just come to the reception area. So I would go. To, I'm thinking it's my patient. So I go to the reception area, and the receptionist says, someone's here to see you, um, uh, but she just went outside. So I was like, well, that's weird. I mean, because patients, why would you go outside? You wait <laughs> right. for me there in the, in the waiting area. So I go outside, and then I saw my mom. I'm like, what are you doing here? You know, because I, I, I was a little, you know, like, you know, like, mom, what are you doing? You know, like yeah. a typical yeah. kind of t- <laughs> teenager, I guess, 20-year-old. So... Um, I was just annoyed. Yeah. yeah you know, because I thought, I thought, you know, I got rid of you guys. And and how long after this was it since you oh, came out to them? It was a day after. Oh, it was only one day after. Yeah, yeah or maybe two days. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. And yeah. what does your mom tell you when you meet her? Well, I thought she was going to give me a lecture or whatever. Yeah. And she just said, um, yeah, I just want to let, let you know I love you. Mm. I was like. I just thought that was weird. I was like, you came all this way just to tell me that you love me. I, you know, I, I just was, I was, I didn't care. I, I didn't want, all I wanted was just to be free. You know, I mean, what I saw is free, you know. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, or, or what I thought was free. And, it, you know, it was still, you know, free to live in the world, but not free in Christ. So... I, um, so, so my mom, you know, that she stayed in Louisville for six, six weeks and then went home after six weeks. Um, and my dad just saw the change that it wasn't like they, you know, they, cause they would argue a lot. And, uh, when they, now when they started arguing, like my mom would just just kind of let it go or walk away and just kind of go in her prayer closet. And then my dad would, you know, have <laughs> nothing to do. And, but God began working in him, and he started going to um, uh, Bible study. There's there's an organization called Bible Study Fellowship, and he began going to Bible Study Fellowship, and it just began to just radically, yeah, reveal who God was. And um, so, yeah, they, he, he became a Christian a few months later, but I, you know, I just, I thought both of them had just lost their minds. <laughs> so I was a dental student. And a little bit after that, I started 
partying more, um, drinking more, and then I started doing drugs. And, you know, kind of the club drugs. So ecstasy and and those Mm -hmm. type of things. And, well, ecstasy costs money. And so I thought, well, you know, you're using my my mind, not for good, but for bad. And I thought, well, if I just buy a few extra at a cheaper price and I sell it, then I can pay for my own. So I did that. Well, I was like, wow, that was easy. That was fast. That was good money. And I was like, I'm just going to buy more next time. And I I would use, uh, you know, extra money from savings or or even from money that was supposed to go to school and I would use that and then buy drugs and then make money and and that that's that's how eventually I became this drug dealer not thinking much of it thinking I'm just having fun which is you know so interesting how easily sin can pull you in mm-hmm. you know you're not looking for sin I mean sin will find you so I became a drug dealer while being a, a dental student eventually I was kicked out of dental school Okay. And um, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, this was, was it three months before you graduated? It was three months, okay. yeah, before. So I was, yeah. you know, I sent out, like, my graduation announcements. Yeah. Uh, my dad, who's a de- dentist also, so he has two doctorates, he was going to hood me. So when you when you go through a doctoral program, you can you can ask someone, uh, someone special to, like, hood, hood you, uh, which is um, when you get... So, so like when you get get your bachelor's degree, um, you know, get the tassel, and, right. and when you get your master's, you you get a, it's like a, well, I mean it's a hood, but it's really kind of like a mini cape. Have you seen those before? It's like a oh, okay. something that you put. It's colorful, and they, so okay, you have your, sure, yeah. um, and then this thing that you put on. Uh, so masters, it's a smaller cape that only kind of goes to here or whatever, um, and then you have longer tassels doctoral program you have these felt things here on your sleeve and then a longer cape so okay. it's kind of this ceremony that you go through you know just with all graduation so I asked my dad to come to to put that hood on the cape on so he was all prepared to come we got the invitations out we sent it out to other people um, and they they expelled me from dental school yeah just three months I was I was really close and I was like fine and I moved to Atlanta and there I kept doing what I knew how to do best at the time, which was sell drugs. But I became also a supplier. This whole time, my parents had no clue that I was doing drugs, selling drugs. But they knew, and this is really important, my, they knew that my biggest problem was not being in same-sex relationships. They didn't even know anything about, about my drugs. But they knew my biggest need was to fully surrender to Christ. So they prayed for that miracle. Um, my, uh, they came to visit me one time in Atlanta, and I told them to get out. And, and and they weren't preaching at me. They weren't telling me I was living in sin. But just the fact that God had so radically transformed their lives that they radiated Christ, that was offensive to me. And I told them to leave. My dad gave me his Bible before he, before he left. And as soon as they le- he left, I took my dad's Bible and I threw it in the trash can. That's how much I despise God, despise Christianity, despise the Bible. And it was so obvious after that visit that I was totally unreachable and completely hopeless. Mm. But my mother and my father committed not to focus on the hopelessness, but upon the promises of God. And along with over 100 prayer words from the church, from their Bible study fellowship group, they began to cry out to God for me. My mother prayed a really bold prayer, which was, God, do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to you. 
which is a bold prayer. Right. Yeah. And um, and she prayed. She fasted every Monday for seven years, once fasting wow. 39 days on my behalf. She knew that it was going to take a miracle. I mean, I was so hopeless. I was so cold and hearted, and I hated Christianity that she knew it was, good, it was just going to take a complete miracle. So that miracle came with a bang on my door, open up my door, on my doorstep, 12 federal drug enforcement agents and landed police and two big German shepherd dogs. And by this time, like, um, what you're doing in the drug scene is you are a major supplier, like even to the point of flying around yep. um, and distributing to, to many different places, correct? Yep. Okay. Yeah, so it was, I was going to different parties. Um, so in, in the gay community, they have something called the circuit party scene where you would go from, there would be circuit parties. And so maybe in um, Miami would be on one weekend a party and then Montreal, you know, two weeks, every month or there was at least two or three parties around the North America where they would have these parties and you would go and, and these really well-known DJs would be there doing these like whole weekend long parties and you would stay up for the whole weekend partying because you're high on drugs and um and it would just be extravagant and um uh, you know uh, there you would see models and you know movie stars and um yeah you know it was living the life i thought you know mm-hmm. um and so I would be going to these parties. Um, I also would have kind of like a mail order business where people would, and this is this is before 9-11, so there wasn't as much security then. And, you know, FedEx and UPS, I would just mail drugs that way um, hmm. to different people. So I, I, I felt like I was God. I felt like I had what people wanted, what people needed. And... Um, is this making you a lot of money as well? I was making a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. I was spending a lot of money right. too. So I wasn't like saving it or, yeah. you know, I was just, I would, and it was just, yeah. Every time I play, I would go somewhere, I, I would fly my friends out there. So, so I would pay for their tickets and I would pay for their hotel. I would pay for food. Um, and our hotel, I'd get the, you know, presidential suite or, or whatever is, you know, with the living room and, and, uh, you know, two or three or four different bedrooms and we all stay there and have parties and it was just yeah it was not not living how we ought to live put it that way (laughs) um but at that time i thought this was great i mean you know i'm 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 doing what any person would want and i I, if you were to ask me at that time was i happy i'd be like of course i'm happy yes of course you know i'm happy but it was emptiness you know it was it was feeding my insecurity. Well, that's what I was wondering. Um, did you ever at any point feel really um, like you were missing something or like there was something more that you might want to be a part of? Or did it really just feel full and happy? Well, I mean, you know, when there's a reason why people do drugs and it's to mask things and it's to hide from things. Um when you're feeling down, you would do some drugs and then you feel better, but then you, you go through a crash afterwards. And so sure. that crash, so just as high as you were, you're gonna come down and you're gonna come down as hard in the same way, in the same direction, the same amount. So there is a sense, you know, oh yeah, I, I, I fa- had dark times, but I tried to cover it up and mask it. Um, 
and yes, but but I never thought then that I would say that I need something because I thought well, there is, this is all there is to life, right. so I need to live it up. You know, right. when when you live like there is no God, you're not going to think that there's another answer. You're not going to think that the answer has anything to do with God or anything that has to do with outside of this world that we know. So I was just trying to live it up for what I knew and for what I saw in the world that we lived in. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so back where we were, knock on your door, mm-hmm. and um, yep. there happens to be something that the because the policeman cannot enter your home right correct? right but they see something they see in the they open the door and so i i was not you know trying to hide or i don't you know i i was just being foolish uh i never thought i was going to get caught and i didn't even check i didn't look through the peephole you know to see if someone was there and i just opened the door and right behind i just got in a shipment and opened the door and on my counter was just drugs I just got a shipment, and I just opened the boxes, uh, and, and it got it out. And so they, they it, once they see it, they can come in. Right. Uh, they didn't have, they did not have a, a warrant, but they opened the door, and they saw it, and they uh, were able to come in. And I was just arrested just like that. Yeah. So I was shocked, thinking, you know, I you think when you're high on drugs, you think like you believe you're invincible. Obviously, you're, we're not. No one is. So I found myself in jail, um, and I call home, and uh, just thinking I was going to get just berated by my mother. But her first words were, are you okay? Hmm. So no condemnation. And I'm just reminded of what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God's kindness. Yeah. Right? It's not God's anger, yeah. not his punishment, not his wrath, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And God used those words. Um, so a few days later, I was walking around the cell block, passed by this garbage can, and I just thought, you know, I've just destroyed my life. I've, my life is no different than this trash. Was about to walk by it, but then something on top of the trash caught my eye. I walked back, picked it up, and it was a Gideon's New Testament. And that's fantastic irony. Yeah. Seeing as how the last Bible you had, you threw in the trash. That's right. Correct? Yeah. And it wasn't the same Bible. <laughs> right. I know people ask, is that the same Bible? <laughs> no, it's not the same Bible. But it is, you know, just like what Isaiah says, that God's word never returns void. Not to say that we should throw our Bibles away. <laughs> but I did. And in God's grand redemptive irony, you know, I found that Bible in the trash. And it's funny because I didn't make that connection until after I was re- reading the book. And I was like, oh, wait, I threw a Bible away. <laughs> And I picked that up. So it wasn't until years later yeah. that that I realized, made, or I, that made that connection. And in the book, I, I made. I didn't want to tell people like, remember, I picked that. But you know, I it was yeah. just subtle. So I want people to like pick it, pick it up on their own. So I'm glad you caught that. But um, so you find the Bible. I find the Bible. Yeah. And I took it back to my room, but I wasn't thinking, oh, here's the answer. I just thought, man, there's nothing else to do. You're bored. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So bring it back, and I just started reading it. Um, and, and I know I heard people that are like, you know, the Bible is good news. And I'm reading, I'm like, this ain't good news, because I'm like, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against my government. I've rebelled against my parents. I've rebelled against God. Uh, what's good about this? So I went, um, things got worse. I was called to the nurse's office and the nurse gave me the news that I was HIV positive. 
So I was like, mm. how worse can things get? I was laying in my cell, um, and I looked up at the cold metal bunk above me. So, you know, all the bunks are just metal. Mm. Uh, they have foam, plastic foam mattresses, uh, or foam wrapped in hard plastic. And um, look at the cold metal bunk above me, and somebody scribbled something, and it read, if you're bored, read Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And I just had no clue where that plan was going to take me. But God gave me enough faith and enough strength to get through that one day and the next and the next. So my transformation was gradual. God was convicting me of my dependencies, obviously drugs, but God delivered me with a few months from drugs. And it was a miracle, too, how your sentence got reduced and reduced several times. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. But originally, so it was six, and then it was uh, reduced to, so I was supposed to get 10 years. I was sentenced to six, but um, then it was reduced down to three. Mm. Yeah, so in prison, I was started reading God's word, and God began to convict me first that this is sinful behavior, but more importantly, that my goal isn't that I needed to become straight, right. that I need to like become attracted to lots of women, because even if I did, which I think it's possible, I think God can definitely do that, but even if I did, I would still need to resist temptations. I would still need to resist um, lust and flee sin. So I realized that heterosexuality is not the goal, but holiness is, is the goal. So the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality, but the opposite of homosexuality is holiness. So I think that was an important concept for me to realize that same-sex relationships are sinful, but that does not then mean that I need to go to the opposite, which we think the opposite is heterosexuality, but the opposite of actually holiness. Um, so I was called to ministry. I, I, I began pursuing living this life, knew that pursuing same-sex relationships were sinful. And, and um, you apply to Moody. To Moody this is my Institute. favorite part. <laughs> you apply to Moody yeah. from a jail. From and jail. And your from references prison. are the warden. Yeah, no, a prison or, or chaplain. prison chaplain. A prison guard and another prison yeah. inmate. So another <laughs> that was criminal. the best part, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and the best part is that I actually got accepted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they they did not uh, deny. I mean, yeah, it was a miracle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you get into Moody, mm -hmm. and then eventually you're on to Wheaton. I went to get my master's in exegesis. So I had to get my bachelor's because I never, when I went to dental school the first time, I was never, I never received my doctorate. I didn't get my bachelor's degree. I I got accepted to dental school early, so that's why I never got my bachelor's. So I had to go back. Once I became a Christian to get my bachelor's, right. and I got my master's in exegesis, studying the Greek and the Hebrew, and then finally I got my doctorate in ministry in 2014. From Bethel? Yeah, from okay. Bethel. All right. Yeah. That is fantastic. And then you went, and after that, that's when you started doing the speaking with um, your mom and you right. started well, traveling? Well, so I probably started speaking in 2005. Okay. Around that time. I mean, I did a little bit while I was at Moody, um, from 2001 to 2005, but probably 2005 was when things... I was speaking a little bit more, okay. uh, but especially after in 2007, once I graduated from Wheaton. Now, when so you and your mom co-wrote a book together, documenting yes. the, yep. the the journey y'all went yep. on. Um, yeah, it's called out of, out, out, of, of, yeah, out of Our Country: A Gay Son's Journey to God, A Broken Mother's Search for Hope. Okay, yeah. and it, I, I really like the format. It's you write a chapter, yeah. and your mom writes a chapter, That's and right. you just alternate talking through the same timeline. Yeah, yeah. right. So she but, writes chapter one. So she writes the odd chapter. Yeah, the odd chapters. Okay, okay. And I read the even ones. When does that book come out? 
When did that, that book out? came out in 2011. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's on down the road a little bit, which I thought I heard you tell a story about because you had to edit your mother's because you're the yeah you're the you've got your certificate or your degrees and all that so you edit her but then she has to edit you for the Chinese <laughs> translation right she translated yeah so well um speci- like I, I think that where I was talking about that is for my newest book Holy Sexuality in the Gospel which is the first book oh okay. what was like our our story it's just kind of like you know just telling a story and so English is a little bit easier so she had to then work on the translation for that so I helped my mother write her 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 chapters in English for the for the original for the first book then when we translated that into Chinese um, she she then had to help me write or translate my chapters because I I can speak Chinese but I can't read or write it okay. so she had to so she had to come because it's sometimes hard you know when you're talking about things like you can't there's no direct translation so sure. you have to kind of like explain a little bit more to, to say what you're saying so when she was writing the chapters when I was partying and getting high yeah. <laughs> she would be you know so that what year was that so she was 70 some years old 72 so she would be coming to me with pen in hand and be like so tell me when you did ecstasy like how did that feel <laughs> Like you felt what it was how is she was like taking notes and it was just so funny because like my you know seventy year old mom was yeah. sitting there taking notes of like because then she can understand it and then yeah. translate it into into words you know I yeah. would talk about you know there's ecstasy that had like um, you would, they would stamp symbols on it like they would have, we call it a Superman pill or whatever like yeah. and she was like trying to translate that into Chinese and it just didn't yeah. work so she had to like you know anyway so she was learning all about drug culture yeah. when she was translated but then what you heard was. When my newest book came out was not our story. Okay. It was much more doctrine and theology and stuff. So and this it's, is the it's book, a little Holy Sexuality, Holy Sexuality right? in the Gospel. Yes, came out Sex, a years Design, ago. Relationship. Uh, in 2011, uh, I mean, sorry, tw- uh, 2018, okay. November 20th. So just um, about a year ago. Okay. Yeah, so uh, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel Sex, Design, Relationships Shaped by God's Grand Story. So essentially, it's a theology of sexuality. Okay. And um, so my. my I wrote that, and then my mom had to translate that. So, so we translated uh, both of them a little bit after they were. Re- oh no! You know what? Um, the first book we translated the Eng- wrote, wrote the English in 2011 that was released. The Chinese didn't come out to 2014, but for the the newest book, Holy Sexual and the Gospel, um, our the original, the English came out November 2018, and the Chinese came out May of 2019. So it was just a, six months later. And so her and my dad had to work really hard. And she said, so what you heard was, um, in the time between I wrote my first book and the new book, I'd gone to seminary and you yeah. know, got my doctorate and studied theology and read lots of books. And she she didn't get her doctorate in theology. She didn't you know go to seminary, and she didn't read as many books as I had. So she it was a really a big stretch for her because I talked, I you know talked some theological concepts and mm-hmm. and and I just dug deeper. And for me, it makes sense because I know all these categories. But for her, she knew about it. She just knows know some of these categories or hadn't dug deep so deep. So it was a real stretch for her to then translate her because she had to understand all that I was talking about and then translate that English concept into Chinese. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, that's fantastic. Um, we only have about a minute or two left, so we got to wrap this up. I could keep talking with you for a long time. It's <laughs> yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Um, 
But real quick here, just to kind of finish off, I would be really curious. So you wrote the book Holy Sexuality. Yeah. Um, but just kind of talk about what sh- what you are seeing. What's the main point of emphasis for you with talking to the church about sexuality? Um, what's one of the main things you wanted to try to communicate, um, whether it's something that you think the church could do better at teaching or that they're doing a great job at teaching? Yeah, I think so. The reason why I wrote this book was because I wanted to show uh, we have a lot of books that's talking about sexuality and, and sometimes it's it's either things that are very pragmatic how do we love mm-hmm. but oftentimes these books that talk about how to love don't really discuss what love looks like so they're talking about love without grounding it in truth but we know in First Corinthians 13 that love rejoices in truth so you can't have love apart from truth we think we dichotomize truth in, in love but actually mm-hmm. we can't uh, truth I think is full of grace and full of truth so it's love is both of that, full of grace, full of truth. So I think we can't just jump into be pragmatic without grounding it in truth and be, you know love without grounding it in truth. But the other thing is that other messages that we hear on sexuality is oftentimes what we should not do. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. But we can't build a Christian life on God's no. So that's what I want um, to help people to not elevate heterosexuality uh, or homosexuality, but elevate holy sexuality, which is chastity and singleness or faithfulness in biblical marriage between a man and a woman. So I think uh, I would love to see the church really do that, especially do a better job at communicating God's truth on singleness, because I think we've really lost um, the true meaning of the goodness of singleness. Mm. And you are are single, correct? I am, yes, I'm not married. And just, uh, I know we're about out of time, but um, did you hear much of that as you're coming into the faith? I didn't. Okay. I, there was not a lot. And I think... So did um, you put that pressure on to where you have to become... Um, there was a sense where, especially for people who have same-sex attractions, like the uh, the sign of being fully healed was that you become married to somebody yeah. of the opposite sex. Yeah. And sometimes then people would almost pressured into that. Well, maybe they weren't ready or maybe it wasn't the right person. You know, whatever, what, it wasn't God's will. Now, def- I mean, I definitely think that marriage is good, and I do see the problem of people then fearing responsibility and then trying to avoid marriage. So that's bad. But I think when we try to push people to get married as a sign of maturity or, mm. or wholeness is incorrect. So, because let's let's just say, um, if there's young men in our church, or you know young men that are that don't want to get married, they're mm-hmm. they're avoiding responsibility. The answer is not to convince them then to marry. The mm-hmm. answer is that these men need to first be converted. They need to be born again. I mean, if a person is avoiding responsibility, he's he's acting immature, and I would say I would I would almost doubt his salvation. I would I would I would just doubt his profession of faith. You know, be. A man of God is someone who is responsible. Who is responsible? A man of God is seeking God's will. Um, so, I think the answer for these young men that you might see in their church churches or, or whatever it is anywhere um, where where they're avoiding these responsibility and living immature, they need to submit to Christ and be more like Christ. Um, that is the solution, not to get married. We mm-hmm. become more like Christ by submitting to Christ, not necessarily by getting married, particularly when we see that Jesus Christ himself was not married. So we can't say that, you know, getting married is then the solution for everything. Right. Getting getting married is a good thing, right? but it's not a solution for our 
immaturity is not mm-hmm. a solution for our unholiness. Yeah. yeah, Christ is. And being single is a good thing. It's a good thing that right. that, that just mm-hmm. as marriage is a good thing mm-hmm. that God uses, um, that and singleness is can be a good thing as long as it's in God's will because you can get married for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and that's out of God's will but also you can be single and out of God's will so so for both whether you're married whether you're single the focus needs to be on fully submitting to Christ and being united with Christ well thank you so much for being here yeah, um, it's an absolute honor to have you sit down I think your story is one that just needs to keep being you and your mom story um, it's 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 moving, um, inspiring. So we have one more thing. Um, we like to give all our guests a homemade loaf of bread. Oh, well, homemade. <laughs> yes. Okay, I saw that there. Yes. I was like, yeah. So, um, and did you make that? No. So <laughs> there's a bakery from a friend oh, really? of a guy we know, um, and he makes bread, pastries, all kinds of stuff. Wow, awesome. And they're not open on Tuesday, so I wasn't able to get one from him. But Javen's mom, um, Javen's the guy who does it with me. Yeah. Uh, she made one yesterday. So no this is fresh way. from her and she makes wow. fantastic bread. Oh, amazing. So. <laughs> it actually looks really good. It's and really it's good. Nice bread. and moist and it's for it. Wow. Praise God. Oh, thank you. I was actually envying that when I saw that. I was like, what is that? Why is that there? Thank you. Appreciate that. Good way to remember you, you guys. So. Yeah. My dad and I, we love bread, bread and so appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. I hey, hope man, you have a wonderful on. rest of your visit here at TFC. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, that was my conversation with Christopher Yuan, and it was such a pleasure to have him on. Um, James, you're reflecting on it. What were your thoughts? It's just so cool to hear his story, and I'm sure he tells it over and over and over, yeah. but I think it's because it's worth telling over and over. I got I heard him speaking um, at community worship here at school Wednesday morning, and or Tuesday morning, and he told it, and then as I was listening to your conversation, I got to hear it all again. And, you know, I think the thing that struck me the most from his story was just like the fact that he he ran as hard as he could run but like God caught up with him and and just I think the part that moved me the most was the people that just were constantly after him and just didn't give up on him most notably his mom who he said fasted every Monday for seven years um, fasted one day for one time for 39 days straight and then you know there was the Whoever was the prisoner um, in the jail in that bunk before him who had scribbled, mm-hmm. you know, the scripture on the um, on the bunk above him, his dad, you know, they yeah. came after him, gave him the Bible. Just, just all these different people that just kept coming after him until finally he yielded. Yeah. Yeah, the, the part that always gets me is when he, he has his phone call home from jail, and he's expecting an earfall, all that, and all he hears from his mom is, are you okay? Mm-hmm. And... It's it's it's. I got to meet his mom yesterday. Did you get to meet her? I've seen her. I didn't yeah, even talk to her. Just very very cool lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, fantastic story. Um, so he talked about a lot of different things. Then even after the, after he was done telling his story, kind of um, what he sees in our in our how we talk about sexuality, um, said a couple different things. One is that a man of God is someone who is responsible. Yeah, yeah. He talked about. Um, well, Christopher Yuan is a single man right. today, and he talked he talked a lot about just in our conversation with him that marriage is not the answer for people and for young men who are not responsible or particularly moral. Marriage is not the thing that's going to make them whole and get them back on the path. He says you have to be 
you know, it's holiness that's the goal, whether you're married or whether you're not married. And um, the phrase that I think he used I really like was abstinence and singleness yeah. and faithfulness in marriage. Yeah, which is, I think, the whole ethical framework he's kind of built his ministry. And his, I haven't read his newest book, but from what mm-hmm. I hear, that's what he he talks a lot about. Um, but he even like even goes so far to say sometimes almost to where marriage gets put at a, as a place, as a substitute for holiness um, and how it can become the ideal to strive for instead of life with God. Yeah, yeah, and something that'll, like, fix fix what's broken. Yeah. Instead of coming into marriage, like, holy, it's, it's something that's going to patch you up. Or, And like he even said, like, you know, once he had this gay attraction and became a Christian, it's not like he just all of a sudden was attracted right. to all these women. Like, that part of him did not change. But he still is really admirable. You know, his, yeah. his choice to remain single and his doing what he believes he needs to do to remain pure and holy. It's it's admirable. Yeah. Yeah. And he just talked about the goal being holiness, regardless of, um, well, like for him, it, it looks different than what it might be for a yeah. heterosexual yeah. attracted. But neither one of those ends are the goal. It's there's this completely third goal that either path can get you to. Um, And so he made the point too, like, okay, but marriage is great. Mm -hmm. It's, and it's a way to keep you on that path towards holiness um, because it's not an ultimate thing. It's formational. Um, And he also said, and singleness is a great thing because Mm -hmm. it also keeps you on that path and is formational um, towards a more Christ-like life. Yeah. And just one more thing I wanted to say was, um, you know, back to the, those people who just kept going after him. I think it's interesting that, you know, his mom fasted and prayed for him. He said for hours each day she would be praying for him. And that, you know, they had to do that for seven years yeah. or however long it was before they got the phone call home. And it's almost like you have to earn, you know, you. I don't want to say you have to earn it, but you have to keep showing up for a long, long time to get one chance, yeah. you know, and you have to be ready when the one chance yeah. comes. And his parents were, and yeah, it was pretty remarkable. Yeah, and just some long suffering there too. Yeah, um, that's a long time. Like even the thirty-nine days, she said she could tell when it was time to stop because they were starting, to, her fingers were starting to tingle um, because she just didn't have anything in her. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just it was an incredible story. Honor to hear it. Um, an honor to get to meet him. And yeah, we were and I know I know you read Christopher's book. Yeah. Um, do you want to just give a little plug for that? Yeah, I give a huge plug for it. It's it's a really cool style how they wrote it. Um, him and his mom co-wrote it. And together. this is this is this is if you want his story um, out of a far country, uh, a gay son's journey to God, a mom's search for meaning, something like yeah. the subtext. Um, but it's written. It, it follows the timeline of how this all was taking place, but it. It goes, his mom writes the odd chapters and he writes the even chapters, but they detail on the same timeline. So they're talking about the same points in time along their life, um, but how they both were, what was all going on with them throughout the time. So it's a pretty fantastic read. I would highly recommend it if you want to hear a story in more detail. And I thought it was hilarious, too, what he was talking there at the end about how to, to edit it with his old, with his mother coming as a 70-year-old yeah, trying to, to write about what did you mean taking ecstasy? Yeah, what, was it like? <laughs> what did you feel? 
Uh, that was great. But yeah. no, I would highly recommend the book if you want a more uh, detailed account of his story. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for having him on and and reading his book and and talking with him. I was that was great to hear his story. Yeah, it was it was a pleasure. We will see you guys next time here at the Abstract Podcast.